SciShow Tangents is brought to you by Shopify. Hank, when you started your career as <laughs> the internet science man, was opening an online store something that you were really thinking that hard about or something you thought you'd do in a billion years? I was uh, making a shop before I was the internet science man. Oh, what? That was the first thing I did. I was that first. Wow, I got to learn my Hank history. How did that go for you? <laughs> Good. I'll, here's what I'll tell you. Like the the the... The part where we start selling a thing and you get to see the number go up is so exciting. And uh, when it's just like you uh, by yourself, you got to be careful. But luckily, (laughs) Shopify has all kinds of little tools to help you with that, to help you with increasing conversions, to help you with managing orders, with customer support, with all of the stuff. Uh, Because it's a, you know. I don't know. It feels like the industry standard. And so there are all kinds of plugins that you can use to make your Shopify work for you in particular. That's right. Shopify is a global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from vlogging in your parents' basement to treading the boards of Carnegie Hall. Now, it was my basement. It was my (laughs) basement of my own home that I was renting. (laughs) Downstairs of. (laughs) If you say so. From your first sale to your one millionth, Shopify is here to help you grow. And they've got a proven track record, my friends. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. and powers entrepreneurs in 175 countries. They have, as Hank mentioned, the Internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And they have award-winning customer service because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. You can sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tangents, all lowercase tangents. Go to shopify.com slash tangents now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash T-A-N-G-E-N-T-S, all lowercase. Welcome to SciShow Tangents. It's a lightly competitive science knowledge showcase. I'm your host, Hank Green, and joining me this week, as always, is science expert, Sari Riley. Hello. And our resident everyman, Sam Schultz. Hello. I always say hello, and you always say hi. You've messed up everything, Sari. Wow. Hi. Wow, it's all broken <laughs> now. I have a question. So say you're in a situation where it's not unusual for there to be a lot of guys, and there's a bunch of guys around. What percentage of them being mostly too entirely bald do you start to think this is a collection of men who have gathered together because they have this thing in common? I think that you could have 10,000 bald men together and they'd all be, this is going to be me. They'd all be in denial and not realize any of them are bald. That's not how it works. They'd all think each other was bald and none of them would think I'm bald. No, I think bald ba- I think bald guys know they're bald. I think that it's above 75% I notice where I'm like, hmm, these are all a bunch of bald guys. Have you started seeing a lot of this happening? I know, I'm just kind of curious. I'm always curious about the thresholds at which we start to think things are weird. Because weird things happen all the time. But like, yeah. it's only weird if we think it's weird. Somebody once made this great example to me. I don't remember where it came from. But it was like, uh, sometimes you think, what are the odds that that would happen? 
Uh, so for example, what are the odds that like a person would stop in front of you who has the license plate one number more than yours? That's so weird. It's just like mm-hmm. exactly the same, but the last number is one up. It's very unusual. But like every license plate you see at the car in front of you is a bit of a marvel. Like the, the odds that it would be exactly that number every time are very low. But the mm. odds that it would be some number every time are very high. So what makes something weird is entirely just sort of a human experience of, of what, what is coincidental and not coincidental. And so I decided to explore this through the lens of bald men. Of bald guys. Of bald men. I think <laughs> for me, over 50%, whenever a room is over 50%-ish, and I know there's all kinds of problems with human estimation of what 50% yeah. is, mm-hmm. then I think something is going on but also, I have been in enough rooms where there are mostly bald men and they're just like scientists. Yeah. And like the thing right. that they are gathering is not about their baldness. Mm-hmm. It is just yeah. that is the, the composition of scientists at elite <laughs> institutions. And so I it's like look men. at it and like, eh, yeah, this checks out. Hate right. it. But uh, uh. right. Right. Where I, like if you saw like a group of doctors and they are wearing white coats, that wouldn't be weird because uh, that's yeah. what doctors Normal. do. But Mm -hmm. if you were at the grocery store and everybody was in an orange coat, it would be very strange. And so I think that we should go to the grocery store and we should all wear orange coats. We should all check out at the same time and and be like, how long is it going to be before how many people in a row wearing an orange coat is it before the person checking out the booping, the booping? Orange coat? What's going on? It's an orange Orange coat coat thing in town. Yeah. I don't think I'd ever notice. Personally, I don't know. <laughs> I'm having trouble with this question because I think I could just walk. I could go through a right. whole day seeing 100% bald people and then come home perfectly peace of mind. No, not just not have some mac and cheese and watch Daredevil. Yeah. 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 And run my hands through my luxurious hair. <laughs> <laughs> Every week here on SciShow Tangents, we get together to try to one up, amaze, and delight each other with science facts while also trying to stay on topic, but for some reason talking about. With large groups of bald men instead. Our panelists are playing for glory and for Hank Bucks, which I will be awarding as we play. And at the end of the episode, one of them will be crowned the winner. But first, as always, we have to introduce the topic with the traditional science poem. This week, it's from me. You think you know what happens to food. It goes in your mouth and then it moves right through from your face to your tummy and to your intestines, eventually all the way to your rectum. But actually, that's not true. That is not what happens to food. Well, some stuff we eat is not nutritious. Dietary fiber can still be delicious. And that's part of our food that we can't digest. And it does come out along with the rest. But food is mostly caloric stuff that helps you think and get real buff. Mostly that doesn't get all the way through. It's absorbed and it becomes new you. Your eyes and your bones and your thoughts and your fears, your biggest toenail and your cute little ears. It's metabolized into thoughts of your past. And the waste from that process, it turns out, is gas. And so, this is incredibly fun. The waste from your food comes out of your lungs. So if poop is not what becomes of your chow, then what is it, Sari? Please tell me right now. Wow. So I didn't even get to what poop is. (laughs) You got stuck on carbon dioxide and then (laughs) just really... (laughs) Well, the first thing, I wrote another poem... At first, and then I realized that it was wrong because it was about food food Uh turning into poop. But that's Mm -hmm. not really what happens. Your poop's a bunch Mm -hmm. of stuff. Mostly, it's not food. For some animals, they can 
they can continue to digest the stuff that's in the poop and indeed do some they will re-eat it but you know it's it's a sign it's a bad sign if your poop for a human contains a bunch of nutritious stuff that means your digestive system is not working in some way like undigested food is food to something else and the things that are in poop are partially food in that everything is once food if you think about like based on your poem sure the the food becomes you and then you become the poop as in (laughs) poop is (laughs) cells that are left over from like the lining of your intestines mucusy stuff Mm -hmm. uh dead bacteria from your stomach so like a lot of microbiome Mm -hmm. uh components which i guess that is the least you part of your poop but they still eat the food but it's wild how much of your poop is just uh, like living organisms that aren't you. But like when, at what point does it uh, enter that and become, start becoming poop? All throughout. So, <laughs> okay. all, yeah. All throughout. So like in your esophagus, like your digestion starts in your mouth. You got bacteria in your mouth. You have saliva, mucusy kind of stuff. And so as soon as you start mushing that into the food, some of that stuff is going to come out in your poop inevitably. And then True. as the food travels through your digestive system at different points as part of digestion, um, different waste products get injected. And so like somewhere in your intestines, those epithelial cells shed. And then that just becomes like part of the poop ball, kind of like uh, like a Katamari in that game, Katamari Damashi, where uh-huh. you like roll it. Rolls it up more and more. And just roll, yeah, cells. the poop is going through and it kind of sloughs off cells and gathers them up ah. into the poop ball. Some of your organs contribute. So like your your liver and your gallbladder um, contribute bile and that's that contributes to to poop. So any metabolic waste products from the rest of your body get funneled into your intestines and get added to the poop ball that is accumulating. Mm-hmm. And the, the bacteria are growing the whole time and they get caught up in there, but they don't yep. all come out. Some of them stay behind. And I guess they're growing. They're like eating the food, eating the nutritious stuff and growing and then it's it's like 30% of the solid mass of a healthy poop is bacteria. I don't like this. This is too complicated. It should just be food. I feel like we've sent you into an existential you made it, crisis. It's not existential. That. You just made it not fun anymore. Oh, it's all science now. Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, so there's also just like poops, whatever comes out the butt. Does that make yeah. you feel better, Sam? Much okay, better. Great. What's diarrhea? Yeah. What's yeah. going on there? You're just not feeling very good. It all comes out too water. fast. Water. Yeah, it's usually that the whole thing is moving quickly. Um, That's not Mm -hmm. the only thing that can cause diarrhea, but but oftentimes it's like your body's like, something's wrong. Whatever is in here, we need to get it out quickly. Mm -hmm. And that's what that's what happens is it just doesn't have enough time to absorb all the water. But there are other Mm -hmm. other causes as well. The definition, correct me if I'm wrong, Sari, is whatever comes out the butt. Or cloaca. Yes, thank you. (laughs) asterisk or cloaca (laughs) but yes whatever whatever comes out the butt because animals also and and like that's where the idea of poop gets squishy or uh uncertain for some animals (laughs) because like an anemone or a jellyfish they have one whole mouth slash butt uh and so any indigestible food comes out the mouth or like owls they poop and they have owl poop, but the owl pellets, which are the indigestible mm. fur, bones, other crud or whatever that you mm-hmm. dissect in third grade science, uh, they vomit it out. 
So that's not poop. It looks like poop because it is indigestible material that made its way Mm -hmm. partially through the digestive system, but it comes out. Well, here's a question. I I know what you're going to ask. I think you do, just by your face. Sometimes. (laughs) (laughs) I hate thinking about this, but go, go. Sometimes a person can get so impacted that uh, poop will back up into their stomach and they will vomit it out. Uh, this is a, obviously a very serious health condition. Uh, it's obviously also extremely gross. And in that case, it comes out the mouth, but it's poop. So it doesn't come out the butt. So it doesn't come butt. out the butt. <laughs> I think once it has made its way, that there must be a threshold, much like your threshold of bald men. It has to make it like 90, 80% of the way through your digestive system, then no matter what hole it comes out of, it's poop. If it's yeah. like once it's in the intestines, I would think like past the stomach, post stomach stuff, yeah. certainly large intestine. Uh, Sari, do you have anything else that you know about uh, the etymology of poop? I do. Uh, I have two things that I know that I think are worth sharing. So poop, meaning excrement, is a fairly mm-hmm. recent word. Uh, <laughs> it's from the uh, seven, late 1700s ish and was started by children, which I think is very funny. It's uh, a word that kids started saying because it sounded funny, and it's probably oh another a, one of those I, imitative origins. And so you do a little uh-huh. poop, and it means like a fart or a poop, like any sort of excrement. Yeah. Anything that comes out of the butt is a poop. Right. We forgot time. about farts when we were talking about anything that comes out of the butt. Any solid yes. or liquid thing that comes out of the butt is poop. Farts used to be poop. Like break, like fart, oh. the word poop now, used to mean... Right? Fart or like gas or solid or liquid, whatever came out. That's great. That's just the noise your butt makes when it comes out. It makes a poop. I want a list of words that kids made up. That that sounds like <laughs> a good one. Uh-huh. I don't know if there's any others besides poop. I'm sure there are. I want to know them anyway. <laughs> yeah. Um. So that's great. I love that. Uh. And it also it comes from similar words as to make a short blast on a horn so like a toot and a poop i think we're in the same Uh, range of linguistics but the other thing that i learned so i was like oh poop's recent what did we call poop beforehand feces Mm. is what we called it beforehand Uh, boring Um, boring don't do that boring no don't do that (laughs) (laughs) but it is feces is from latin and it's a plural word from the word fex or fex which i thought is very weird uh F-A-E-X, the plural is feces, uh, and it just huh. means the sediment or the dregs. And so it'd be like oh. at the bottom of your wine glass, you've got the feces. And then for some reason, you're <laughs> like at the bottom of the human tummy and, and butt, you've got the dregs of the human you know, system. Sure. I can see that. It's the stuff you don't want that's left over afterward. It's almost like a polite way to say it. And then all the kids uh, thought of the nastier ways later. That is always the way. All right, that means now that we're really informed that it's time to move on to the quiz portion of our show. Supposedly, nothing in this world is certain except death and taxes, but also there's poop. Not the most Mm -hmm. certain thing in the world, but still a constant that is with us from the time that we are born to the time that we die. And while poop does serve the very important purpose of allowing us to pass waste from our body, it's also a very versatile tool that can be used in a myriad of ways, even in the early moments of an animal's life. So I'm going to tell you three stories 
of babies and poop in the animal kingdom, but only one of them is going to be true. We're going to play which one of them is the true poop fact. Story number one, babies don't always make the wisest choices. For example, lobster larvae like to eat jellyfish, putting their unprotected insides at risk from the jellyfish's venomous stingers. So the larvae wrap their fecal pellets in a membrane that lets them absorb nutrients from their meals while preventing the stingers from poking their guts. So there's a special little poop packet for uh, for lobsters. Or it could be fact number two. Figuring out the right diet for your newborn can be tricky. So for the small Tibetan animal known as plateau pikas, parents have to go through an extra hurdle to make sure their young ones are well-fed. They have to go out and gather yak poop. Scientists have found that pika babies whose parents fed them yak poop were better able to digest grassy meals thanks to the microbes present in that Yak poop. Or it could be Hmm. fact number three. Both of those could have been lies. So, young animals can be vulnerable to attack. So finding a way to protect them can be very important for parents. Army worm moths keep their young safe in a protective nest made out of poop. Their poop contains a special protein that makes their larvae smell like a poisonous berry after they hatch, which wards off hungry birds. Our three facts are lobster larvae wrap their poops to protect their intestines from jellyfish stingers. Pika parents feed their pika pups yak poop in order to help their digestive systems handle grassy meals. Or armyworm moths make protective poop nests so their larvae can smell fresh as a poisonous berry when they're born. These are really good lies. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know how much, I don't know what you're going to do, you guys. That last one is especially like... That's a hell of a lie if that's a lie. I'm most dubious about the third one because okay. poop is kind of a constant in life, but there are some creatures that don't poop. They just get constipated and then die before they have mm-hmm. to worry about it. Okay. So like think- some mites, which are little arachnids, and I know some mayflies live short time, and then some moths. Like oh, okay. I think so. A lot moths. of moths never eat. Yeah. They can't yeah. even eat. They don't oh, have mouthpieces. Okay. And they don't have they're just, they're just don't have mouths. Chubby. Yeah. But they have mouthpieces, but they don't like they're not usable. So basically they don't have mouths. They Ugh. have like they just don't eat. They do one yeah, they're thing. Just big, big chunky plump <laughs> breeding mechanism. <laughs> that's why yeah, that's a better way of what I was gonna say. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> Um, so I don't think the third one's, well, I guess it would be very weird if a moth pooped to form nests, but I'm dubious about it because I think there are so many moths that don't. Are you pretty sure no moths do, or you know some do? I have no idea. Okay. I only looked up the ones that didn't. I'd assume lobster larvas swim around. Mm, do they? Because how are they going to get jellyfish otherwise? <laughs> right? I don't know. Yeah. I imagine they can swim. I don't know what lobsters do. I don't think I've ever seen a lobster or conceived of a lobster, not in a fish tank. I think I feel the same way, but I think they just walk on the ground. Yeah, but they got a little yeah. tail. They can. What if they swim wiggle? elegantly they through the water? They can. Shrimp swim. Lobster swimming is super cool and weird. It's not. It's like because they go backward, so it's fairly kind of counterintuitive. The hell? Have I worked here for ten years and I don't know that lobsters can swim? <laughs> they look very silly. Yeah, they do go backward. <laughs> <laughs> okay this is your next tiktok hank just show oh, lobsters wow. swimming backward they're so cool <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
I'm so delighted. Okay, so lobsters can swim. That means baby lobsters can swim. Can swim for sure. That means sure. they can probably catch up with a jellyfish. They look faster yeah. than a jellyfish. They have um, more presence of mind than a jellyfish, too, I think. So they <laughs> that's for sure. There he is. Let's go get him. Yeah. <sighs> and then the pika one, I know that animals feed their young to mm-hmm. seed their gut microbiome. So like koalas do. They feed them like their own poop. That's what, right? I think so. Yeah, that sounds right to me too. To like give them some of the digestive bacteria specifically that Mm -hmm. they need. But I don't know why pica would eat, I don't know, I guess yak bacteria, probably super powered. And the pica bacteria, they're just like, oh, my tummy's tummy's too weak. Little tummy. Pass it on to my young. But maybe why wouldn't they just have this, the bacteria, if they ate the yak poop too? Like, yeah, that's true. Little Sherlock Holmes logic for you. We've, we've Sherlocked our way to lobsters, and I think it's lobsters. And I'm going to say it before. I'm going to lock in the lobsters I too. I think we're right. You're both locking in on lobsters. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, we're starting out with a with a sweep. You've both got you both got it. So look at that uh, teamwork. We're so smart. Lobster larvae, which are super <laughs> cute. Uh, so there's a lobster called uh, Phyllosoma. As good as I'm going to do. They're only a few centimeters long and they float around in the ocean and they also will attach themselves to jellyfish. So they are, they are much smaller than a jellyfish, but they'll latch on and they, the jellyfish like help them get around, find a different place to be. They also are a convenient meal. Uh, so they like to eat their tentacles specifically. And scientists at Hiroshima University wondered how the lobster larvae were able to eat those tentacles without dying from all that venom. Uh, as parts of the gut should be vulnerable to those stingers. And the lobster larvae died if they were directly injected with the venom. So the scientists knew it wasn't that they were just immune to it. There had to be some kind of mechanism keeping them from getting stung. So they fed them uh, a a diet exclusively made up of sea nettle jellyfish and studied the poop. And they found that the fecal pellets were wrapped in a semi-permeable membrane that allowed nutrients to pass through but prevented the stingers from getting out. I just saw a picture of a baby lobster that made me tear up. So look up some <laughs> pictures of baby lobsters. They're really cute. Look at this baby so poses on top of a 17-pound lobster for photo shoot. How do you feel about that? Wait, is this real? <laughs> yeah. I'm looking at it. Okay. Which is cuter? The baby lobster. This, is, this one's gruesome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess this lobster is about to be boiled, probably. So, <laughs> all right. Uh, so, congrats to you both. There were nuggets of of uh, truth in the other ones. It is true that animals will eat each other's poop for microbiome reasons. Baby elephants and hippos eat the feces of their moms. But the plateau pika does eat yak poop. Uh, this behavior, however, is not restricted to the young. It just appears to be a survival strategy during the winter and mm. might explain why the pika likes to live in the same areas as the yak, even though they compete for the same food. So it's it is a it's a like a meal. They're yeah, like no? dung, they're like cute little dung beetles. <laughs> yak doesn't want it anymore. I'll eat that. Doesn't need that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and armyworm lady. caterpillars uh, do use their poop, uh, but to trick plants. Uh, armyworm caterpillars like to eat corn plants, but corn plants don't like getting eaten, and they have some defenses against that, uh, including a chemical that repels the caterpillars. However, the corn plants can't multitask very well when it comes to attacks, so armyworm caterpillars divert the plant's attention by pooping. The caterpillar's poop contains a protein that makes the plant think that it's being attacked by a fungus, and that causes the plant to defend against the possible fungal infection, leaving it wide open for caterpillar worm attack. 
That's hey, crazy. Down. Sneak attack. They tricked corn. Yeah. Poor corn. <laughs> yeah. He's trying his best. Corn never did anything to anybody. I was like, please don't eat me. And then they were like, hey. I'm going to shit on you instead. And eat yeah. you. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We're going to take a break and then we'll be back for the fact off. SciShow Tangents is brought to you by Rocket Money. If I asked you how many subscription services you had, you think you could name them all? And before you just start naming streaming apps, remember that basically everything has a subscription these days. Video games, dating apps, food delivery apps. It's a subscription service world. We're just living in it. And with all of these subscriptions, it can feel like money is just flying out of your account. And that, frankly, sucks. But Rocket Money can help. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. Rocket Money can help you negotiate to lower some bills for you by up to 20%. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over 500 million in total canceled subscriptions. Escape from the planet of the subscription services and stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash tangents. That's rocketmoney.com slash tangents. Rocketmoney.com slash T-A-N-G-E-N-T-S. SciShow Tangents is brought to you by Manukora Honey. Miriam Webster defines honey as a sweet, viscid material elaborated out of nectar of flowers in the honey sack of various bees. And that's all good and fine, but old Miriam and Webster... (laughs) Use some words that I don't know and didn't really hit the mark when it comes to talking about Manukora honey. First off, Manukora isn't just sweet and viscid. It's got a rich, complex taste and a creamy melt-in-your-mouth texture that you won't find in your average everyday grocery store honey. And nectar of flowers doesn't cut it when you're talking about the nectar of the Manuka tea tree in New Zealand, the only nectar these bees feed on in the production of Manukora honey. In conclusion, Manukora... Ain't just your average boring dictionary defined honey. It's special honey. I know this firsthand. Uh, They sent us a jar, a squeeze bottle, and some honey sticks. And we've been sharing around the office of their MGO 850 Plus, their best-selling honey. It's not the same. (laughs) It's not what you're thinking of when you think of honey. Look, have you ever think to yourself, if like a company made grapes for the first time, we'd go nuts. I feel like honey is this way where I'm like, if anybody like made this up, we'd be going out of our minds. But this is like if honey happened again. Did you like the honey, Sari? So I moved into a new place where there's no insulation in the walls. And so uh, I've been drinking a lot of tea and Mm -hmm. sometimes that tea needs a little bit of honey. And I initially poured in this honey thinking it was going to be grocery store honey. And then I was like, that's different. And now it's a little uh, breakfast treat. It's a great breakfast treat because it's 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 a little like it's for toast. I could put like this on my butter toast and I'm like, oh, I'm having an experience. So Merriam-Webster also defines ultimate as the best or most extreme of its kind. Now that one fits Manukora to a T. Indulge in the best or most extreme sweet viscid material elaborated out of nectar of flowers in the honey sack of various bees. 
from Manacora. If you head to Manacora.com slash tangents, you can get $25 off their starter kit, which comes with the MG850 Plus Manuka Honey, a free travel pack of honey sticks, a free wooden spoon, and also a free guidebook. That's M-A-N-U-K-O-R-A.com slash tangents to get $25 off your starter kit. Welcome back, everybody. It's time for the fact off. Our panelists have brought science facts to present to me in an attempt to blow my mind. And after they have presented their facts, I will judge them and award Hank Bucks any way I see fit. To decide who goes first, I have a trivia question. In 2005, the Ig Nobel Prize in Fluid Dynamics was given to a team of researchers who published a paper in the journal Polar Biology titled Pressures Produced When Penguins Poo. Calculations on Avian Defecation. The ignoble described their work as, quote, using basic principles of physics to calculate the pressure that builds up inside a penguin. The, the scientists studied Chinstrap and Adele penguins, calculating that a fully grown penguin generated about 60 uh, kilopascals to push out materials with a similar viscosity to olive oil. A fun thought. Ooh. They calculated that number using three main parameters. One was, as they <laughs> themselves described it, the shape, aperture, and height above the ground of the uh, orificium venti, which I think is the hole. The second was the uh, the density and viscosity of the material, and the third was the distance the poop travels before hitting the ground. How far did they estimate the poop traveled before hitting the ground? I know we just like just did a side show about this. Talk, yeah, we talked about these these penguins that shoot their poop away from their nests. Five, uh, six feet. I'm like almost six feet. I'm gonna say fifteen <laughs> feet. Two series, two and a half. Three, series worth. three, yeah, three two and a half to three series. Um, <laughs> that's really far the answer is 40 centimeters so that one goes to Sam it's uh. about the length of the penguin uh. <laughs> sometimes it really... it's a wild answer yeah. so far away and then when Sam guesses a wild answer <laughs> we all laugh <laughs> uh, for those wondering about the aperture uh, from which the poop was fired the maximum diameter was 8 millimeters so that was some fun research. <laughs> Who do you want to go first, Sam? <laughs> oh, I guess I'll go first. Diarrhea, one of the clearest ways your body lets you know that something ain't right. And that extends from you being sad and sweaty on your toilet after eating something that doesn't agree with you, all the way to entire communities suffering from diseases like cholera that impact the gastrointestinal system. But diarrhea is also a pretty personal affair, and people tend to keep it to themselves, which can make it really difficult to tell when more people than usual are getting diarrhea, mm. which can make it hard to notice quickly when there are outbreaks of diseases like cholera. But a team of scientists are hard at work on a solution to that problem, and part of that solution involves making artificial intelligence listen to a lot of people taking a shit. That's probably, no. this is probably the best way to do it, right? That's got to be the best way to do it. Because otherwise, it's just like knocking on people's doors and being like, I'd like you to share your poop details with me how's it been lately that can't be the, that can't be the solution perfectly normal that's what i would always say no matter what <laughs> <laughs> uh, so this team based out of georgia tech had initially set out to research if the sounds of farts and urination could be used to identify whether a patient had cancer so the line of thinking what? is that 
When people fart and pee, they do so out of tubes that are generally pretty uniform across all of humanity. So if it sounds weird when you fart and pee, you might have an abnormality in your rectum or urethra, which could make the the shape of it different and point to a larger problem like cancer. But they also came to the conclusion during this research that listening to the sounds of pooping and peeing tended to be just as effective as looking at video and more reliable than self-reporting, not to mention less unpleasant for everybody involved. So they also figured out that peeing, farting, solid pooping, and diarrhea all sound very different. Different enough that they can train an AI. (laughs) (laughs) What we have discovered, I want to read that line in the paper. What we have discovered is that peeing, (laughs) pooping, farting, and diarrhea all sound very different. Yeah, yeah, I know. If you're the first person to write it in a paper, then you're the one who discovered it, you know? It's a new game. Pee, poop, fart, or diarrhea. You listen to it, and then you click. I just, I can't believe that a computer could tell the difference between peeing and farting. (laughs) Two very different noises. So the sounds were different enough that they could train an AI to listen to bathroom sounds and identify what was going on in there. I assume that they figured an AI would be quicker and more efficient than a human, but I also have to believe on some level that they were just sick of listening to pooping noises all the time. (laughs) So the researchers pulled as many, and this is a weird sentence, publicly available video and audio clips of people Mm. going to the bathroom as they could find. (laughs) (laughs) Wonder what, uh, (laughs) what APIs they used (laughs) where they found all that good video data of pee and poop. Well, okay, so they fed all, they started feeding all those videos to an algorithm, and once the program had all that information, it was introduced to a very special machine called the Synthetic Human Acoustic Reproduction Testing Machine, aka the Shart. So, the Shart. <laughs> oh my God! Sari, you're screwed! You've got nothing! <laughs> I thought mine was pretty good, but Sam just keeps hitting one after another. So the chart is a series of tubes and uh, soda bottles assembled for one purpose, to replicate the sound of humans pooping and peeing in all kinds of different ways. It can poop, it can pee, it can diarrhea. And when the AI listened to it do all these things, it could identify the type of excretion event that the chart was replicating with 98% accuracy. So using this near-perfect poop-identifying artificial intelligence, The team hopes to build simple devices that can be installed in public toilets in communities at risk of cholera outbreaks to help them identify the outbreaks early. And now, in honor of this fact, I've prepared a game called What the Shit, where we'll listen to pooping sounds and decide if they're diary or not. No, I'm just kidding. We're not going to. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) I believed you. Your very own bathroom, so you can use them in the video. Uh I've been prepping for this for a while. (laughs) This is great. It's like the thing is, this is great. It's like it's a nice thing to do. Good thing to do. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know about the necessity of building the shart. That seems like <laughs> that seemed weird probably, to me too. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, why they, it seems like a lot of work <laughs> to get diarrhea noises when those are available. I almost feel a little disappointed that it can only tell the difference between a poop and a diarrhea ninety eight percent of the time. <laughs> They've never had farts or diarrhea, so they don't even know what it's like. And sometimes True. I that feel like the nice. people don't even know. It's probably like a mysterious one that like switches between. <laughs> 
That's, that's true. I guess point. sometimes that's you do a good look point. and you're like, that's what I was doing down there? Wow. Is that what you mean? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yes, without so much personal inflection in there. But exactly that, Sam, where it was like, I don't know what just happened. And then you turn around and you're like, well. You're like, oh. That's a different texture right. than I expected. <laughs> that's a good point. Sari, what do you have for me? Okay, well, there are a couple anecdotes floating around in popular culture about a human fashioning a tool out of their frozen poop as a solution in a cold, desperate situation. I have example, recently heard about one of these. Yeah, I I can find a good fact too. It's no chart, <laughs> but <laughs> I'm pretty I'm pretty good at this podcast. Um, uh huh. So. Maybe the fact you heard was there's a Danish author who explored the Arctic and claimed yep. to forge some type of chisel to free himself from a makeshift snow shelter that got frozen in an ice storm or avalanche. And there's a story about an Inuit man's grandfather who, in a winter storm, made a knife out of his poop, killed and skinned a dog to make a sled that could be harnessed to another dog, and then traveled away. And to be fair, Wade Davis, who is the anthropologist who first recorded the Inuit man's story, has said that it could have been a Quote, classic case of local people having some fun with a visiting tourist slash anthropologist. But as with many fun or weird anecdotes, the story has taken on a life of its own. So much so that in October 2019, a team of experimental archaeologists published a paper in which they tried to create and test their own frozen poop knife. They regularly try to reproduce other human-made tools and tech. So why Uh not this one? Sure. So. The lead researcher, Matin I. Aaron, ate an Arctic-like diet that was high in proteins and fatty acids for eight days and started collecting and freezing his own poop around day four. He and his team formed knives using molds or shaping them by hand, uh, storing the poop knives at negative 20 degrees Celsius, sharpening the edges with a metal file, and then blast chilling them in negative 50 degrees Celsius dry ice right before the experiment. And to test whether these poop knives could cut refrigerated meat, they tried them out on various cuts of pork, pig hide, muscle, and tendons. I will quote the paper directly for the results because this one's also a great read. (laughs) Instead of slicing through it, the knife edge simply melted upon contact, leaving streaks of fecal matter. Ah! (laughs) That's not Uh, better. It's good. Uh, And so they acknowledge (laughs) that this is a silly study, but generally conclude that we should be dubious or think carefully about poop knife anecdotes or any sort of pop science things. But that's not the end of the story. Wade Davis, that anthropologist that I mentioned at the beginning, interestingly enough, posted a response article also in October 2019 and, in my opinion, respectfully questioned why this research team went as far as to create poop knives in negative 20 and negative 50 degrees Celsius conditions, but didn't test the anecdote on dog hide, muscle, and tendon per the story because it's very different from pig. And so in the grand scheme of things, you can apply experimental science to anything, but there are a ton of considerations, even when you're making knives from your own poop. Yeah, I mean, hey, Uh. dogs can donate their bodies to science, right? You just ask, and they have one of those little pads where they put their foot down and they say, yes, "Yes, yes. mama, (laughs) science. My dead body. Science. <laughs> yes. Poop. Knife. Poop. Poop. Knife. Knife. <laughs> bye bye. <laughs> so that's 
uh, and and probably the same situation with using like the poop chisel to get out of a. I mean, maybe not. It seems like it's anything hard. Like it seems like the problem is that the poop knife was melting, so you need to make sure things aren't too too warm. And that wouldn't be the case for chiseling out of a of a ice shelter. So maybe that's real. Yeah, we don't know until you make a poop knife and then go to the frigid Arctic and then try it out there. So lots of experimentation <laughs> still to be done if you Correct. want to experiment on your poop. <laughs> and if you do, we're on Twitter at SciShow Tangents. We just hit no. 10,000 followers. <laughs> now, um, I think that un- I, I think that Sam has to come out as a winner there. There was just too much. There was too much. And also, I hope, that it results in better public health helping the uh, world for, for our world. Mm-hmm. Now it's time to ask the science couch. We've got a listener question for our couch of finely honed scientific minds. Eliot J. Pinche on YouTube asks, why do lots of people get diarrhea or extra stinky poops while on their period? I know that this is a thing and that is as far <laughs> as my knowledge goes. <laughs> Usually I can bullshit something, but you know, hormones... <laughs> As a certified guy with a wife, I do know as well. This is true. <laughs> That's as far as I can go. Yeah. Oh, well, as a person with a uterus, I can also guarantee it's bad, folks. <laughs> 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 Everything about periods are bad. I hate them. Um, so hormones is correct. And I can just specify the types of hormones so that everyone can know about this thing, especially people without wives or uteruses who have never heard of this before <laughs> and now get to, to know the, the horrors of period poops. So menstrual cycles are regulated by hormone levels that change throughout them. And basically, the, the general cycle is that you build up uterine lining, you ovulate, which is you release an egg, your body's all prepped to be pregnant if you want it. And then if there's no fertilization of that egg, then your body's like, well, screw that. I'm going to get rid of it all. Hmm. Uh, And there are hormones that control all different parts of this cycle Um, and and different predictable phases. Everyone's is a little bit different. It's also not something that's super rigorously studied because uh, scientists are scared of uteruses or something like that. I don't know. Deemed them less important (laughs) to study. And so there are two main Things that can happen to your poop <laughs> across the, the 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 across this cycle. The first thing is that after ovulation, you get increased amounts of progesterone and estrogen, and these hormones, in addition to like prepping your body to be pregnant, if if that's a thing, it also has been linked to increased. Uh, constipation during the menstrual cycle's luteal phase. Um, so right before your period, as you're building up to the, the premenstrual time, you're getting really constipated because of hormone mm-hmm. contributions to it. When it comes time to shed the uterine lining, there is a group of lipids. So those are like the fatty acid compounds that act kind of like hormones. So they're not quite hormones, but they, they signal to cells. They're called prostaglandins, and your body makes them for lots of different things, uh, like sites of healing if you get scratched and scraped, um, inflammation, 
but it also when it comes to menstrual stuff, it helps signal to the smooth muscle around your uh, vaginal canal and uterus to start contracting to shed all that built up skin. And so mm-hmm. the, the prostaglandins trigger smooth muscle con- contractions in the downstairs area. And there's also smooth muscle around your uh, large intestine, intestines is, in general. Which is close by. Which uh-huh. is nearby. Cl- it's like and, close enough by. This is wild. <laughs> yeah. And so when, when you got stuff signaling in that mm-hmm. general abdomen area to eject your... Uh, uterine lining, you also get signaling to eject whatever is in your bowels That's at right. the same time. Oh. The stinkiness, it's a mystery. <laughs> uh, people say that it might have to do with a variation of like your diet changes. So the hormone cycles of period may mean that you eat different things than you normally would right beforehand mm. because you get cravings. Huh. But that is the part that I think is most mysterious. I could not find any literature on fart or poop smells with periods. <laughs> yeah. And so we, that's, I mean, that's not open people really taking. Lining up for yeah. that one. But we could get an AI on it. <laughs> you got to get AI yeah, we on could. it. We got to get the AI not just listening, but also smelling. Smelling. I think mm-hmm. there's there's actually not a lot. I mean, I this is a very common sort of line of questioning for you know children and everyone else. That does not overlap a lot with the line of questioning that science scientists tend to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's just not a lot that we know about fart smell, which seems like a real miss. It's one step away from all this like microbiome research that everyone's into right yeah. now. It seems mm-hmm. like you got to go from <gasps> yeah, yeah, what is the composition to got to get a AI nose in there. Yeah, you got to get those health influencers talking about fart smells and how important they are, and then the research will begin. <laughs> So if you want to ask the Science Couch your question, follow us on Twitter at SciShowTangents, where we'll tweet out the topics for upcoming episodes every week. Or you can join the SciShow Tangents Patreon and ask us on our Discord. Thank you to Brian Henricks on YouTube, Ariel the Biologist on Discord, and everybody else who asked us your questions for this episode. If you like this show and you want to help us out, it's very easy to do that. First, you can go to patreon.com slash scishowtangents. You can become a patron and get access to things like our newsletter, bonus episodes, which are very fun and always a little bit weirder than regular tangents. Special thanks to patrons John Pollock and Les Aker. Second, you can leave us a review wherever you listen. That's super helpful, and it helps us know what you like about the show. And finally, if you want to show your love for SciShow Tangents, just tell people tell about, people us. about us. Thank you for joining us. I've been Hank Green. I've been Sari Riley. And I've been Sam Schultz. SciShow Tangents is created by all of us and produced by Sam Schultz. Our associate producer is Faith Schmidt. Our editor is Seth Glicksman. Our story editor is Alex Billow. Our social media organizer is Julia Buzz Bazayo. Our editorial assistant is Debuki Chakravarti. Our sound design is by Joseph Tunamedish. Our executive producers are Caitlin Hoffmeister and me, Hank Green. And we couldn't make any of this, of course, without our patrons on Patreon. Thank you. And remember, the mind is not a vessel to be filled, but a fire. But one more thing. The northern curly-tailed lizard eats almost anything, from insects and smaller reptiles to french fries and cheese scraps, so they're known to have some pretty gnarly poops.
But when a University of Florida PhD student performed a CT scan on a lizard with a really big tummy, they were in for a record-breaking surprise. (laughs) They found a fecal bolus, a.k.a. a big poop, that comprised 80% of its body mass but wasn't being digested, leaving Mm -hmm. the lizard to starve with its other organs atrophying. The poop was made of congealed pizza grease, sand, insects, and an annelie lizard all clumped together in a mass that couldn't fit out of its cloaca. So unfortunately, the story doesn't have a happy ending. They euthanized this lizard to put it out of its constipation-induced suffering. They couldn't have cut it out of him? I don't know that we have good systems for stitching a lizard back up. Get him in the uh, surgery on a lizard. Get him in the ER right now. Help him out. (laughs) Dad. 